Good morning. It's good to be here. This is one of my favorite places. And meant so much to my wife and family. If I could have, I, would, I got a hold of a photo of a wedding that happened actually today, 40 years ago. And this kind of unruly-haired kid was getting a corsage pinned on by this really cute chick who later became my wife. And she was beautiful. I'm like, got to marry this girl. So anyway, we're here, and we're glad to be here. So just a little update. Two Rivers is doing great. We're adding on to our church. We're doing stuff. And we've experienced an extraordinary outpouring of God's grace because it's not us. It's him. A couple of things that have happened this year, and some of you know about it. We, we have a little booklet. We call it Discipleship Foundations. We've now actually revamped that. And it's even better because I learned all that stuff from the navigators at the university. And I actually learned it here when we came out here in 1979 and 1980, how it doesn't work in church in its form. And I've been kind of struggling with that for 40 years. Finally, I kind of got a hold of it. And now I teach it in my church because it's so important, but I do it without making everybody angry. So that's, that's important. And right now on, on Mondays, I have a class, and I have about 30 people in it. And I just said, if you can arrange your schedule, you work, whatever, come to this class. I mean, I thought, Monday morning, who's going to show up? I have like 30 people in this class. They're professionals. They, they do good things wherever they're doing it. But they wanted to take this and do it with me. So they, they're coming on Monday at 9 a.m. And it's pretty cool what's happening in people's lives. And some of it is like this. I have a woman from Wales, and she grew up in the church in Wales, and there's not that many people actually saved in Wales today. And she said, you know, I'm 50 years old. I've never led anybody to the Lord. I'm embarrassed. And so she came to a class I had last year, and that's where we really kind of refined the techniques. And she learned. She works for American Airlines. She's led seven people to the Lord. And so she went from zero to seven pretty quickly, if you teach it slower, what I found out is what you teach, like in two days in church, you teach it over 14 weeks, and then you get the same thing done, and without making people angry, and without the devil condemning people that they can't do it, because that has always been the big voice that has come. It actually relates to the message. Whenever you have a voice coming that says you can't do it, it's probably not God, unless the voice says you can't fly. Okay, probably. <laughs> You know, within reason. <laughs> but we've seen this discipleship thing because I want revival like Pastor Tom wants revival, but I want to have a base ready for when it comes. Because I want to take good care of people because I don't just like to get them saved. I like to see the whole deal happen. And I like to see them serving God 20 years later as well. Then we've had quite a year of deliverance. We've learned a lot of different things. And here's a phrase. If it's not logical, it's probably not human. Now, I know that goes against what we think, because we know people do all kinds of crazy stuff. But what if they did that stuff under the influence of something besides them? That's what I'm actually kind of postulating, because I've been playing with this for 40 years. Humans are created by God to love themselves and to, we have a self-preservation thing. So whenever we engage in behavior which destroys us, it's not logical. 
So then you ask yourself, well, what is actually the source of this illogical behavior? And I submit to you that there's a very strong possibility that it's a spirit. There's been a teaching that Christians can't have demons. Well, you can't be demon-possessed. Well, we agree with that teaching. You can't be demon-possessed. Nobody actually can even be possessed, not even a non-Christian. Demons just take pieces of humans. The Greek word is demonized. They just take a piece here and a piece there. But if they control the right pieces, and one would be the way we think, they've got control in a way which we shouldn't let them have. So they, they can get in various things. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because I think it's kind of an important lesson that we learned as we passed through these last months with COVID and all that other kind of stuff. So first slide, and this is where you measure it. So we have to start here, discerning God's voice. And the first one is you discern God's voice in the Word of God, the Bible. This is 80 or 90% of everything you need to know. People are like, man, should I have sex with my girlfriend? No! It's in the Bible. This is the will of God. You don't need, I wonder, somehow I feel like I'm special and I should, no, you dummy. Should I commit adultery? No! It's in the Bible. Should I lie, cheat, steal? No, no, no. It's in the Bible. We don't need it. We don't need a special word from God. No. There was a time when we went to Argentina, actually when we planted a church in Mount Horeb, when we went to plant a church in Phoenix, the general command is to go and make disciples, but we needed to know whether or not it was God. Yes, then we have direction. So the second way you hear God's voice is your conscience, and that's that little battle. Do it, don't do it. Now, if you take care of your conscience, you'll have that battle. So before I was saved, I didn't have a conscience. Satan said, do, do it, and I did it. And there was no battle. Then I got saved, and now I got this battle, and I told the guy who loved me, Lord, you know, I have this little battle going on. I really don't like it. And he says, that's a good sign. It means you're a Christian. Before, you just used to roll in it. Now you're wondering if you should roll in it. See, that's your conscience. And if you take care of it, it'll always, I have never had my conscience tell me to do something wrong. It's a very good indicator. Don't do it. I've learned not to do it. Even if my flesh wanted to do it, conscience said no, obey conscience. How did I figure that out? Not obeying. <laughs> That's how I figured it out. Uh, okay, that didn't work. After a while, you get smarter, right? That didn't work. That hurt. Oh, okay. There's a still small voice of God. Now, this is the one that has charismatic Pentecostal people. We love this thing, and we should. This is what makes humans noble. Humans, different than animals, can hear God's voice. It's something that on the evolutionary scale you can't quantify. We can hear God's voice. You can even tell me you don't hear God's voice, but if we sit down and talk long enough, I'll, I'll work it out of you because God even talks to non-Christians. And as I began to think about my Christian testimony, I remember a story when I was 11, God told me not to change a channel from Rin Tin Tin to Billy Graham leave it on Billy Graham, and I didn't listen. But I heard his voice twice. Even non-Christians sometimes hear God's voice. But as Christians, we should be hearing it a lot more. We don't need it to decide if we should wear the blue dress or the red dress. That's what God gave you a brain for. Should I have raisin bran or cornflakes? Let's pray. You know, we get these super spiritual types. No, God gave you a brain for that stuff. But there are things that God needs to consult, be consulted, and he should be consulted. And when you do what he says, it will work. It will work. 
Now, I felt like God clearly told us to go to Phoenix, and we had no money and a few people. And here's the test. It worked. <laughs> you know, I can tell you I heard God's voice, but it doesn't get backed up until it works out. So the, the other thing is the prophetic ministry. What guards the prophetic ministry goes back to God's word. It's always the basis, number one, God's word. Discern God's voice. So notice this. Now, I talk to Christians because I'm in a discipleship. I find people who are 40 years old in the Lord and still don't think they can hear God's voice. They're still not sure they can hear God's voice. Here's what the Bible says. My sheep hear my voice. If you're a sheep, you hear. But some people need to take the wax out. Because God is speaking and they are a sheep, but they don't hear. I feel like I've grown in this. And that's how... Um, that's how you learn. you learn. You learn, it's like the radio and you're not quite on the station. Maturing in Jesus is kind of, okay, oh, there it is, right? Now, Daniel 11.32 says this, and this is why it's important. Those who know their God will, will be strong. They will take action. We want to do something useful with their life. Now, Revelation 3.20, if you know the bridge illustration, you know we use it in evangelism, but its context is to Christians. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. And you know what you do at dining? You listen. You have interaction. God wants to dine with you. And if you don't feel like God's dining with you, it's your fault because he already said he wanted to. You have to be humble enough to say, I don't think I know how to do this. But, you know, what is a quiet time about? What is walking through the day talking to Jesus about? It's about dining with the Lord. We should be hearing his voice. He should be, and we should be in contact with him. Now, you need to know that for where we're going. So then you've got to ask this. And then COVID hit, and we saw people get deceived. People got separated from the flock. People started to come. You know, you do the video. They don't watch it. Like somebody comes with a major problem. Do you watch video now? Did you, did you watch any video? No. Well, what would you do? Just sit around and listen to the devil? Yep. Oh, no wonder why you're screwed up. I mean, we're supposed to have fellowship. We need fellowship. And even during that time, some people thought, well, I don't need fellowship. Yes, you do, because the minute you broke from fellowship that completely, you were having fellowship with the other guy. And he's not that kind. So... What is hindering God's voice? Well, I want to talk about Jezebel's children. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard a message on Jezebel's children, but this is kind of a cool concept. And what struck me is I was having my quiet time, and I came across Revelation 2, 23, first part, and Jesus is talking, and he says, I will kill her children with death. And I started to laugh, because I thought, I'll kill her children with a sword. I'll kill her children with a knife. I'll kill her children with a gun. A wild animal will kill her children. No, God's going to kill her children with death. I mean, that's it's kind of extreme, don't you think? I mean, it's just like, I bet you didn't take long enough to think about this. I will kill her children with death. That's rather final. But that's a big deal. And, it, you know, I started laughing because I'm a little bit twisted. I thought, man, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of killing. Looking at this story, so let's pick up the text. Revelation 2. Now remember, this is a Christian church. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, these things says 
the Son of God, so we're talking about Jesus, who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. Now, some here are old enough to know Faye Alexander. She taught in Abundant Life Christian School, and she was quite famous for, actually, they'd give her some of the hardest kids in Madison who were kicked out of all the public schools and just districts, and she would get them saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and they'd be studying in a couple, of, a couple of days, basically. But she actually lost a daughter uh, to cancer at about 12 years of age. And one day when her daughter was dying, she said, Mommy, Jesus came to talk to me. And she said, Sweetie, how do you know it was Jesus? And she said, Mommy, his eyes, they were burning. Bible. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So all of a sudden, we're like got our suspenders and we're feeling pretty good. But then he goes on and he got this word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, a few things. And I underline this because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, if you've read the Bible before, you go, Jezebel, Jezebel in Revelation, Jezebel, Jezebel doesn't belong in Revelation. Her children are not, her children are in kings. So here's this person, and I wonder. If her name really is Jezebel, I think it's a name they gave this false prophet. Tis. Notice that uh, nobody names their children Jezebel today. You, you don't go to a kindergarten class and go, we got a bunch of girls new in the class today, and three of them have the name Jezebel. <laughs> nobody names their girl Jezebel. That's how famously evil this person is. Just like how many children... <coughs> in kindergarten this year were named Adolf. <laughs> Adolf was a perfectly good German name until somebody defamed it. And so was Jezebel, a perfectly good name until this person lives so evilly, no one will put a tag with that person. So I'm not so sure that this person's name was Jezebel, but she's acting like Jezebel. And as a matter of fact, I think that the spirits that were moving on the first Jezebel are moving on her. Those spirits are long-lifed. They're still alive. They don't die. And they, they still do their stuff. We should probably realize that anything that people did in the past under the influence of demonic spirits, they're going to still do today because those demons are still around. And we see the results are in her life. And I will give her, Jezebel, time to repent of her sexual immorality. Is God good or what? I will give her time. And I gave her, it's past tense. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Now, this is where you get the title of the message, and I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give each to each one of you according to your works. Now, a couple of things. He searches the minds and the hearts. We talked about hearing God's voice. We talked about 
this is an important thing because really your success or lack of depends on what voices you are listening to. The battle's not an external battle. It's an internal battle. It's happening in here. Now, this is a story from Phoenix. I, I, I preached this sermon in Gilbert, and there was a young man, grew up in Tanzania as a missionary kid, completely left the Lord, got into immorality. He was into drugs, and he was into pornography and all kinds of stuff. And he's, he, like his light went out. He was really, he wouldn't say he was against God, but there was no spiritual life. It was his mother's birthday, and she said, Mom, what can I do for your birthday? And she said, come to church. So on the Sunday that he comes to church, this is the message. He comes down, and I pray for him, and there are some things that leave. Compañeros de cuerpo. People living inside his body. They're out. Then he goes home, and he has a dream. And this dream is so powerful, he tells it to everybody. He's in his dream, and he's fighting these demons, and he's pulling them out of himself, and then he throws up all over his bed. And so, this is the next night. He wakes up, and he goes, man, I'm so glad that that didn't happen. And then he starts going like this. He had vomited all over his bed. That was not a dream. He was actually exercising demons from himself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very powerful. He is serving God. His face is completely changed. He is completely delivered. His first question was, what do I do with the $200 of marijuana I got? <laughs> he was a little nervous about that. I said, destroy it. So he did. That showed to me he was really delivered. Then I went to Seattle and I was preaching this message and a guy, actually it goes back to marijuana again, Contractor, very successful, had this pickup, like $80,000 pickup. And he wrecked it. And he did some other bad stuff. And he did it under the influence of marijuana. So he came up for prayer because he had to go to court the next day. And this was going to be a fairly drastic court case. And Pastor Anthony, you know, was, we had a seminar there in Deliverance, and so he said, well, let's just pray. And that thing started manifesting. He said, let it go, let it go, and that thing came out. That thing that had caused his addiction to that. Because his friends had said, do it for some pain, and he ended up getting addicted to it. So he goes out into the foyer, and he's there for a few minutes, and all of a sudden the wife comes running through the doors, grabs Pastor Anthony and says, my husband is free. I mean, this deliverance was so clear, so transformational that the wife could tell that her husband was free. This is just normal church, folks. It's just normal church. If we have the power of God, this is the stuff that's happening. Here's one on the voice of God. So I gave this deliverance, about eight sermons on deliverance, or six, and I use that phrase, if it's not logical, it's probably not human. So this Young lady comes down, she's been married two years, and she goes, my husband's been doing stuff the last two weeks that are not him, they're not logical, and I want to pray for his deliverance. I'm like, okay, do you want to do it here? You want to do it in my office? I said, well, let's do it in your office. So get in there and find out he grew up in the Jehovah Witnesses. So I asked him the two evangelism explosion questions, and he failed. So she shared the gospel with him, led him to the Lord, and so we're going to pray for deliverance. So I had one of my elders who's... I actually prayed for him to get it delivered. He's into deliverance. He knows it. 
he's praying, and the wife is praying. She's born again, and he's, and he's getting prayer, and I'm praying for him. And while we're praying for him, and these demons are coming out, she manifests. And I'm looking at her going, I'm just thinking to myself, sweetheart, it's not your turn. <laughs> but anyway, when I say that, I hear another voice, voice of the Lord. It's not from here. Well, what do you do with that? It's not from here. Of course they're not from here. What is there, demons from Gilbert? It's not from here. So afterwards, we're sitting talking, and she kind of surprised me because she's got a very native accent. But she actually came to the United States from the Congo. So she came from the Congo, and she's like four, but her accent's perfect. I mean, she's like any American 20-year-old. She goes, you know, I'm from the Congo, and my grandma is into witchcraft, and she's still in the Congo doing witchcraft. And I'm thinking, right, it's not from here. It's from the Congo. And you just get these little kisses from the Lord, and you realize it's so interesting that God would even say that. So we got these spiritual realities, which I, I feel like I have to review a little bit. But I know you hear them. We don't fight against flesh and blood. They're, they're principalities and powers. We know this, and, and you've got to read this, because I think we're in the last days. But the Spirit implicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. It doesn't say deceitful people. Deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. This is what the last days are going to be like. I think we need to know how to hear God's voice because you can hear God's voice, you can hear your voice, you can hear other people's voices, or you can hear the enemy's voice. Now, for some of us that acquired something demonic early in our childhood or maybe even generationally, or we actually know what we did that it came in, the voice often sounds like our voice. Now, it's never perfectly our voice. Whenever demons speak, they're just frequency, just a little bit changed. And I've now tuned my ear to it. For example, I had this lady. I knew she was demon-possessed because of what she did to her daughter. Her daughter's grown now, but this, this lady has done abominable things. So she was sitting in the foyer, and I said, you know, I really want to have a deliverance session with you. And she's sitting there going, oh, please, I really need, I really need help. Her voice. So then I turned and I went to throw this bottle in the trash and she spoke, but it wasn't her. And it said, looking forward to it. And it just had that little cringe on it. And I'm going, a demon is talking. I mean, she needs deliverance. So uh, file that away. You will hear things from people and you listen to the voice. It will be just a little off. That's when you know something else is operating. It might be in your life. So we know in 2 Corinthians that we have these weapons. We shouldn't be afraid. This is the greatest time of the church. The enemy comes in like a flood. What happens? The Lord raises up a standard against it. This is our finest hour. We should be happy. We should be overjoyed. Bring it on. If we believe that we are who we are in the Spirit, bring it on. Do you know right now, and you don't realize this, perhaps you do, but there is one country in the Middle East 
Non-Christian people say that 80% of the population has detached itself from Islam. If you're going to get somebody converted, they have to detach from what they believe in order to embrace something new. Eight out of ten people in this country have detached secular people saying this from Islam. But what we know, because we have Muslims that are converted from that country, the gospel's going like wildfire. Wildfire. Think about this. You are living in a time when an entire nation is turning to God from something that was not true. Christianity took on the Roman Empire and won. And then we are here quaking. We need to lift up our heads. And we need to lean into Jesus because we don't have to be the losers. We can be the winners. But we're a little bit, we're a little bit fearful sometimes. You've got to lean into God in these tough times and you're going to find God is helping you like he's helping these. And if you want to know the nation, it's Iran. They're being tortured, imprisoned, and killed, and another Christian steps up and takes their place, and the gospel's taking the country. We're living in a time when this is happening. I remember in 1980, we never thought we'd see this day, that an entire nation would turn to Christ. And then we saw South Korea. Think about that. It wasn't Islamic. It was Buddhist and Hindu, mostly Buddhist, mostly nothing. But it's a Christian country today with a Christian culture. We should realize we're on the winning team. We should be excited about being a Christian, even in Madison. (laughs) It's our finest hour. You guys are on the front lines right here. I mean, we go, well, at least we're not limited Madison. (laughs) Limited Gilbert. I mean, my daughter comes home from secular school, and she goes, we warmed up the point of grace today. I had to ask her what point of grace was, but this was a while ago. It's a Christian group. And then she said, and then that choir teacher did this Christian song and this Christian song, and nobody complained. Nobody went to the administration. Nobody said separation of religion from church and state. Because Arizona's a little bit different than here. A little bit. I'm just saying so let me just talk about two spirits that are and interesting. They were both here this morning after service. Spirit of Python, which takes truth and twists it. This is what you're seeing on a large scale. Truth is being twisted. I mean, somebody took Abraham Lincoln's name off an elementary school because he was racist. I mean, put any other name on there, but don't put Abraham Lincoln's name on there. There was a whole war. All these people died. Remember that? I mean, I think he showed something. But truth is being twisted. I mean, I don't want to go into all that, but truth is being twisted. I mean, now we can't even figure out what we are. Here's how my mom told me when I was a kid. I said, Mom, what's the difference between boys and girls? And she goes, well, girls have indoor plumbing and boys have outdoor plumbing. <laughs> Good enough. That's it. Didn't ask another question for about another three, four years. This is like, whatever. I didn't know anything else about it. But now we're even working there. 
And the second spirit that's big is the spirit of porneo, which is lust and all this stuff. And it comes in all different kinds of stuff. Porneo is described in Bible dictionaries a variety of unsanctioned sexual intercourse. Now, you, whether you like it or not, you can take it or leave it. It's a free country. Sex is not a right. It's a privilege. And sex is for marriage. That's sanctioned. The rest of the time, we control ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we walk in holiness. And it doesn't matter what. It's not sanctioned. Because God made it for a reason. So, Porneo is to engage in sexual immorality, engage in illicit sex, to fornicate, or to whore. Yes, you heard that at church. Engagement in polytheistic cult, fornication, and in imagery. Sexual, I mean, libertinaje in Spanish, where it's, there's just an excessness, that's actually part of satanic ritual. We're trying to move our whole society to be free. And that makes you worship it. We can't go there. It's not good for us. So let's look at Jezebel a little bit. Jezebel is a Baal worshiper who kills the prophets of the Lord, threatens Elijah, and orders the murder of Naboth. That's the guy who had the vineyard that Ahab wanted. Jezebel is the wife of King Ahab and the daughter of Ethbal. Now, talk about the written word, of, written word of God. God told Israel to never marry a foreign woman. If Ahab would have listened, and if Ahab would have trusted God, he would have never married Jezebel. He marries Jezebel so that the Sidonians don't attack the Israelites. Or you could just believe that God will protect you supernaturally. See, he wasn't a spiritual man in the right sense of the word. So he makes a wedding of a spiritual alliance which seems to help Israel. But you know, whenever we try to help God, we usually get in trouble. God doesn't need our help. We need to believe in God. So he marries this woman and then she turns him over to the dark side. So the narratives of First and Second Kings portray Jezebel as a woman of great wickedness who persuades her husband and others to oppose Yahweh and commit evil deeds. Her legacy is preserved in 1 Kings 21-25. Truly, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself by doing evil in the eyes of Yahweh, whose wife Jezebel urged him on. With a wife like that, you don't need devils. You got him right there. And uh, you got trouble. We're supposed to marry a husband or a wife that encourages us in the Lord. And I can say, in these years married to Teresa, which for us is 39, she's way holier than I am. So if I ever try to do something, she helps me in my sanctification. So, what was Queen Jezebel doing? Now, here's another sign of spiritual issues. She was a master manipulator. Manipulation is not motivation. Manipulation is obsessively controlling. Now, when we feel like we're vulnerable and weak, we resort to manipulation. That's why this is an issue in marriage. Because whoever feels weakest will begin to manipulate for survival and control. Motivation is different. Motivation is something that's presented and done for everyone's welfare and benefit. 
when you can test yourself as to whether or not you're manipulating or motivating by who gets blessed and who doesn't get blessed. Pastors can be manipulators. And it seems like there's a few that manipulate and they get rich. That's manipulation. Motivation is when everyone gets blessed. Everyone gets blessed by what's doing. If it's just for you and only you, and you are exerting your will in marriage or any other place, business, whatever, church, if it's just your point of view, you are manipulating. Motivation is when there's encouragement for everybody to do something and everyone to get equally blessed. Notice that God's that way. Manipulation is the control over others to satisfy another's agenda, often contrary to their will and well-being. Argentines have a Roman Catholic background. And unfortunately, in that background, they kind of learn by osmosis. It's not directly taught, and it's certainly against church doctrine, that God doesn't love us, doesn't care for us, and isn't really involved in our lives. So when they want power, love, or money, they go to witch doctors. And one out of two Argentines goes to a witch doctor. But what they're paying for the spell is, what does the spell do? Control another person against their will. What would be a love spell? I want this guy to love me because right now he doesn't notice me. Well, I'm going to get the spell so he notices me. Well, what happens if the spell wears off? See, you, that's not love. Love is free. I freely decide that I love you. I freely decide that I love you. That's a marriage. But to do a witchcraft thing to get them to give you money or something like that, that's, that's, that's witchcraft. We can't do it. And Jezebel was a master. What was she doing? She was sexually immoral. She promoted idolatry. And she murdered. Now, here's a sign of a false prophet. We believe in prophecy. And making a mistake in prophecy is not a false prophet. A false prophet characteristic is they lead you from God to another God. Jezebel's moving people from Yahweh to Ethbal. She is promoting idolatry, murder. So when you hear the spirit of Jezebel, I don't think it's her spirit, but rather the manifestation of similar spirits that operated and controlled Jezebel at that time are at work in people today. And I look at two rivers. We have had four Jezebel spirits come into the church at four different times. And the results are always, first you'll, you'll sense the, the, the sensuality and the lust of it, but then you'll find out that there's this control coming, and then all of a sudden they're taking everybody's time. And it can be a man or a woman. So why do the prophetesses Jezebel's kids have to die? I mean, that's a little extreme. Kill the girl, but don't kill the kids. I mean, they're innocent. No, they're not. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 3. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. There's Jezebel talking. She's going to have children. Now this is an allegorical message, so understand what I'm doing. I'm not twisting context. It's allegory. It's a way to preach. It's okay. Look it up. 
Jezebel speaks, and under her influence, she's going to procreate in the lives of the people around her, and here are her children. Verse 3, And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Later, Elijah says, you can read the text, I want to die. This is this mental thing happening to Elijah because the spirit of Jezebel is operating against his life. So we already know that she's got, she gives birth to lust, but here's her other three kids. Fear, discouragement, and depression. Now we saw this big time in the last 18 months or so. We got separated, we got out of community, iron wasn't sharpening iron, voices were speaking, we were listening, and for some, they had the most incredible Christian growth of their life. Some people came through COVID better than before. I personally think I came through better than before. I was at Pastor Tom's birthday, and he said that he came through COVID better than before. Some people came through worse than before. And here's why. They failed to discern whose voice they were listening to. Jezebel's talking, and they're being taken out. And they gave in to fear. They gave in to discouragement. They gave in to depression. Even when people were sick with COVID, we had our share of COVID. People remarked about how spiritual a disease it was how it impacted them emotionally. But I think there were spirits unleashed with this thing, and they entered your house when you were doing this stuff. And they were there on a mission. This is not about flesh and blood. This is about serving God or not serving God. This is about getting all that God can give and do through your life or being left by the side of the road. They were working to take you out. Lust, fear, discouragement, depression talking to a person that works with male erectile dysfunction. She said during, after about six weeks of COVID, she began to see 20-year-old men coming in, completely nullified, because they were in porn so much. They were wrecked. Doesn't that sound like the devil? He always comes and says, do this and you'll be so happy. Ha, ha, ha. And the thing is, we all know he does that, but then we listen to him sometimes. Take this. And you're like, do you hear that little cackle? That's the devil. So don't give in to fear, discouragement, depression. So why do the kids have to die? They're as bad as she is. You cannot play with Jezebel's children. You cannot entertain them. These are not your grandkids. These things are from hell. You have to say no. I'm not playing with you. And of course, the spirit of Pornero is everywhere. It's in arts, politics, education. Unfortunately, it's in the church. What does the spirit of Pornero do? It dulls your ears. It fills you with shame. You can't act anymore in boldness because they had their way with you. We have to stop listening. So how do you deal with Jezebel and her kids? With her and the kids, same treatment. So, 2 Kings, now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Why? Because she was used to getting her way that way. She, she was used to using that power. But then she realized it wasn't. 
Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, is it peace, Zimri? Murderer of your master. I'll tell you what, I know how she said that. That little twist in the voice, murderer of your master. Because demons will always talk like that. Always condemnation. Notice how she's trying to condemn him. She's trying to, she's trying to invoke fear in him and shame. Murderer of your master. Nobody would kill their master except for God asked him to do it. Right? So he looked up at the window and said, who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, throw her down. And they threw her down. And some of her blood splattered on the wall and the horses. And he trampled her underfoot. That's how you take care of Jezebel. That's how you handle lust, fear, discouragement, and depression. You throw her down. If you entertain her, she will continue to take your life into a place that you don't want to see. You don't want to be there. You don't want those consequences. You wake up over there in some ditch somewhere going, how did I get here? Now, interesting, they're eunuchs. The closest people to Jezebel are eunuchs. They cannot reproduce. They are not productive men. And here's, just take this away. This is with the whole message. The closer we are to Jezebel, the less fruitful your Christian life will be. If there's a reason to not be close, that's one. Your life will not have the fruitfulness that you could have had had you walked in holiness. People say holiness is boring. Holiness is joy-filled. And holiness is fruitful. This living in shame, and I got this thing in my closet, and I'm trying to lock it in so nobody finds out. It's terrible. It's terrible to have that double life. You know what it's like. It's terrible. So we've got to throw Jezebel down. God is looking for champions. This is the thought. What are you today? Are you going to sit and be under her influence? Or are you going to make a decision? I'm going to be a champion. Starting today, I'm going to be a champion. Well, then you've got to grab Jezebel, and you've got to throw her out the window. What happened to these eunuchs? They just became fruitful. He looked up at the window and said, who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. That's courage. Courage is doing the right thing at the right time. They probably were inwardly sickened by her sin, by her murdering, by all the things she did. And they were more or less accomplices to it because as her protective force, they knew what she was doing. They knew of her immorality. And yet they did nothing. And now they said, you know what? We're going to stop being unfruitful and unproductive. We're on the Lord's side. Now, how do you do that today? It's an inward battle. It's not against people. Here it is. Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Recognize fear and renew your mind. Recognize things that discourage you and renew your mind. Recognize things that depress you and renew your mind. Some of you need to turn off the TV. As a matter of fact, I only read news. Because reading is not nearly as damaging as listening to their voices and the fear that they're projecting. You have to ask yourself, do I live in anxiety? Do I live in fear? 
Am I, am I spending more time thinking about the problems than thinking about the solution? Amen. Am I better off spiritually for what I heard or worse off spiritually? You've got to become a champion. No one's going to change your life unless you change it. I don't listen to news. It doesn't matter whether it's right or the left. I remember being with the right-wing talk programs, and I had a carpenter working on my church, and I was listening to him, and I noticed he was an angry, agitated man. And I said, you're a Christian, but you're angry. Oh, I'm, I'm righteously angry. And I said, no, you're sickeningly angry. When I'm with you, you make me feel bad. You need to turn that off. We have Bibles. We're supposed to live like Jesus. We're supposed to believe in the power of Jesus. We're not supposed to hate people, be angry at people. Think about some of these motivations that are, well, it's righteous, is it? Show me the fruit of your righteous anger. You know what I notice about people that do stuff? They don't even know what they're doing. And when you love them, they actually kind of soften. I have never made an enemy softer by fighting with them. I learned this in junior high. There was a kid who wanted to fight, so I fought him, and I kicked his butt. You know what I found out? He now hated me worse than ever before. I won nothing at that fight. What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. What did Jesus say? Love your enemy. We're living counterculture, folks. Counterculture here. We can't live this way. So we've got to decide what is being conformed to the world in our life and take it out. Then we've got to ask ourselves, what needs to be conformed to Jesus? Take it out. There are four Gospels to read to see how Jesus lived and acted. The only people he got angry with were religious leaders, so that reduces you to the pastoral staff and the elders of this church. <laughs> you need to love everybody else here. <laughs> Jesus did not treat anybody but unspiritual religious leaders with what you saw there. Any other human was treated with kindness and compassion and love. You don't treat people bad because they're sinning. They don't even like themselves. And so we just compound it. And you know, and I know all about this. I learned how to get sanctified talking to the cell phone customer service people. <laughs> Teresa measures my sanctification by whether or not I can talk kindly on the phone. And she goes, it's a person. They have a life and some children they go home to. Be nice to those cell phone people. They didn't do it. And actually, a couple of times I got angry at the beginning of cell phones, and I felt really bad about it. I'm like, she's over there. She's so helpful. Well, at least they don't know you're a pastor. How about you today? How you doing? Who are you serving? Are you hearing God's voice? When we begin to hear God's voice, it's amazing. I could tell you several hundred testimonies of Two Rivers Church just from this year where people heard God's voice and they acted on it. It happened in restaurants. It happened at work. It happened at, you know, on the street. It happened in their family, praying, getting close to Jesus, hearing God's voice, stepping out on that,
minimizing Jezebel and all her children. So stand with me. We're going to pray. The prayer teams are going to come down. Really doesn't matter. I actually think that Jezebel probably has more than four kids. We just didn't name them all. When you recognize that something is holding you back, when something is not allowing you to be fruitful, when something is taking your peace, something is making you angry or anxious, you need to realize this is probably one of Jezebel's kids. And you need to throw it down. Be courageous and throw it down. Where are our prayer teams? Come on down, prayer teams. We're going to pray. We're going to open this up for prayer. So, after we get done here, if you want prayer, we prayed for a lot of people last service. We'll be happy to pray for you this service. And you need to know, and I'm sure that Pastor Tom has said this, you have a ministry called Freedom Fighters here. And there are some people, and there were some people last service, once they explained what was there, it's like, we're not doing this with one prayer. You actually need to be accompanied over time to get your freedom. Because God wants every person here completely free. So bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, we're here at this time in history and we feel like it's strategic. We feel like we live on earth for such a time as this. We are observing the powerful move of the Holy Spirit in places in the Middle East, in other places in the world. And we're saying, how about here? How about Madison? How about Monona? How about Sun Prairie? How about Cottage Grove? Let's have a move of the Spirit here. And I'm volunteering myself. I'm volunteering myself to be part of what you're doing on the earth today. I've been sitting on the sidelines long enough. I've been otherwise occupied with stuff that's been trying to take me out. But today, I say freedom. Today, I throw her down and I grab a hold of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great day.